Alright guys, today is going to start something a little bit different for us. We're going to start on Sundays, posting in the morning, a coffee and conversation. And it's just going to be something that's very casual and something that I hope is fun for me to do and to get some different points of view from around our community. We have a lot of amazing people who I enjoy sitting down and talking with. And the more that I do this and the more that I indulge myself in investing in relationships and conversations, the better I feel. And so this is a little bit selfish, but I thought it would be a great thing for us to just start posting them and you guys can are either going to find them interesting or you're not and probably different people will breed different uh, responses from you guys. And the goal for these is really to start in the health and fitness space. I hope to get some people who are not doing CrossFit anymore or who maybe have in the past and talk to them about maybe why they're not doing that anymore, but also to talk to people who have found successes in CrossFit, even though they've maybe done it in a different path and in a different way. And in that capacity, that might open your eyes to trying something new or trying something different and maybe understanding that a lot of other people inside of our doors are also struggling with the same things that you do. So we started off with Drew Ferjuel, who, if you guys didn't know how to pronounce that, now you do, and he also talks about that in here. But he is one of our most positive and infectious members in our community, and one of the big reasons that I wanted to start with him was right when I first announced that I was doing a podcast, he sent me an email almost immediately and asked how he could help. And if you guys know Drew, this is no surprise to you. He's always trying to get involved, trying to offer and lend a helping hand. He was probably my first listener and my first supporter. And I just thought that that was so quintessentially Drew to be the person who reached out to me like that. And so he's also gone on and, you know, he's championed our first trivia night. He's been very involved with the gymnastics and the gymnastics club community, and he takes them out to dinner each year. He also has been integral in helping with barbells for boobs, and he guest DJed last year and is always just volunteering himself, his time, his resources, and his knowledge, which is really vast in a very unique space. And so we also touch a little bit on his successes inside of the CrossFit space. When he came to us, he was about 30 or 40 pounds overweight, and he really struggled with pull-ups and bodyweight lunges and squats, mobility, and a lot of the things that everybody struggles with, but he's conquered those. And he recently completed Fran Prescribed, and he's been able to kick up and hold a handstand now for five or six seconds, which is a very, very good and impressive feat for people. And so I've seen him through overcoming a lot of these initial obstacles, and we talk a little bit about how... From his perspective, he's still got so much more to improve upon. But from my perspective, he's come such a long way. And we just talk about that internal battle a little bit. And we also just dive into how he was so successful. And one of the things that you know I wish I could tell people is, I think it's just his mindset. He just stays positive in the hardest of situations and when he faces really, really difficult struggles. And he talks a little bit about how he does that. And then lastly, the thing that I love so much about Drew and what you'll find when you listen to this, I hope, is how he lights up when he talks about things that so many people take for granted, like the city he lives in or the police force or 
cars or his job or the company he works for. And he just smiles and talks very positively about things that I think a lot of people just go negative on. And so I hope you guys enjoy that and that comes through and you guys can see it from him. And I think that that should make it something very fun to listen to for you. I hope you guys enjoy this and I'm going to continue doing these on Sundays so you guys can look forward to maybe sitting down and drinking coffee to these and these will fall into a little bit more long form interviews. All right, guys, today we're going to have a special guest with us and I'm going to let him introduce himself because the world doesn't know how to say his last name. Go ahead. Absolutely true. It's one of my favorite things to do is to watch people try to pronounce my last name when I write it down. I'm Drew. My last name is Ferjewell. Wow, for Jewel. Yes. All right. I would. It's the everyone goes with the hard G, the Ferg. Yeah. Fergie. Oh my I think God. probably ruined that for you. Telemarketers, man. Well, telemarketers and people when they first meet me, they'll they will try. And like, I have a game I love to play on Twitter where it's like where somebody tries to pronounce my last name phonetically. Yeah. This is like the it's like a simple joy in life. It used to really annoy me. Like it used to straight up annoy me that people could say my last name, and then I'm like, well, no, I'm the problem, right? Yeah. I'm the one with this last name. Like it's now it's now it's fun. Yeah. I wonder if you were to start. Writing it with a J if people would start like getting it right more often. Yeah, so the easiest way to do it is like you do an F U R dash J A dash well. Like yeah. that and that people just clicks for everybody. Yeah, for Joel. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Very, very cool. All right. So Drew, what do you do for work? What do you do outside of the gym? I know a lot of people know uh, your life inside the gym and uh, want to get people to know you outside of it. Yeah, so uh, my day job, the thing that pays the bills is I am a senior SQL Server DBA. So kind of IT-ish, you know, it's a lot of dealing with databases, dealing with data, securing data, backing up data, helping people get data faster, uh, doing a lot of other interesting things in around the database platform that Microsoft provides. And that's what I do at my day job. I work at IGS here in Columbus, uh, based out of Dublin. Uh, it's a great place to work. We have a lot, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I've been to IGS for the health fair a few times and a couple times around that. And one of the things that I think is really cool there is I think that there is a culture of really taking care of their employees. And you see that in a couple couple different ways. But um, tell me a little bit about the cafeteria because I know that that's mm, one of the big ways mm, that they try ca- to take oh, care of their people. Yeah, so cafeteria is subsidized. So we don't necessarily pay 9 or $10 for a lunch, which is nice. Uh, we have a lot of guest restaurants come in as well, and obviously some are a little healthier than others, like Mark Pius was in here the other day, so that was the run the Chipotle for me. Uh, but we have like a fully stocked salad bar, fully fresh, uh, really good breakfast stuff to do, like egg whites or you know whatever you want to do. Uh, really, just all kinds of fun employee activities that get done uh, in the place, and you know any place that lets you basically dress up as a female Viking on a Friday, like is a, probably a good place to work. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we'll get to that at the end. Maybe that'll be the cover photo for the uh, for the podcast. Let's, please not. <laughs> please not. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the photo, we'll definitely post it somewhere so you guys can see it. Um, it's uh, it's quite the vision. Uh, and that was just casual Friday, right? That that that's just usual casual Friday. That had nothing to do with nope. like a dress up. <laughs> nope. Just I woke up woke up wanted to feel pretty. Yeah, I got uh, I got an email midday from John Krebs, and uh, and I looked at the picture. And it was kind of like, oh well, that that's funny, but why is this guy sending this to me? And then upon further inspection, just like, kind of, just you just kind of, you just kind of, just a, that slow realization <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and then it sinks in, and then I'm like zooming and saving image quickly so that you're like just, you're nothing can go in, wrong. You're just in the shower, huddled up in a ball. I like it. So uh, going back to the food stuff, so you um, so breakfast options and lunch options. So do you not plan uh, to eat? 
a breakfast or a lunch on most days and you just kind of take what you can get at work? No, no. So, uh, I'm not a, like, uh, not a huge meal prepper at all, uh, just because I'm lazy. But my usual, like, kind of regimen is in the morning, uh, my go-to is an RX bar, right? So have that in the morning with a couple cups of black coffee and, like, I'm good for most of the morning. Afternoon time, that's when I get into actually having, like, an actual meal. So depending on what's being served in the cafeteria that day, but it's something that kind of fits into my nutritional plan because I was tracking macronutrients for a while. I will usually have some kind of salad with some kind of protein on it. And uh, depending on the day of the week, IGS mixes it up. There will be either chicken, like chicken breast, or steak. Sometimes they do shrimp, but I'm not a big shrimp guy, especially when they slather it a bunch of garlic and butter. Uh, And, you know, occasionally other types of protein. So I will have like a salad with that on it. Or if it is like uh, sometimes the guest restaurants come in. There's There's a really particular Greek restaurant that comes in as a guest restaurant. And they have... Probably some of the best like grilled chicken breast that I've ever had. Yeah. It's just lightly marinated. It has a little bit of olive oil in it. Not a ton. It's not like it's like just drenched in it. Yeah. And a little bit of rice, and it's like perfect, right? Mm. And I've been doing the the meal prep thing long, or not the meal prep, but the uh, macronutrient thing long enough that you can kind of eyeball it now. Yeah. So I know when enough is enough. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think that's the key point there is when you're doing macros and you know you're at work you're not going to, most people aren't going to bring a scale with them unless your Viking costume has a purse with it. In which case, you could maybe bring it along with you. Uh, Excuse me, it is a satchel. Satchel, exactly. Um, But otherwise, you know, you're not going to have that that ability to truly weigh, and so you're kind of doing best guess on that. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, when you were counting macros, were you just kind of entering into MyFitnessPal or an app like that? Yeah, so it was all MyFitnessPal. I would constantly get yelled at by uh, our nutrition coach at the gym about not having enough. And I think a lot of that was because I would underestimate as well, yeah. or o- well overestimate. I think sometimes too. But um, it was really, really hard for me to hit some of those macronutrients doing that. Now at home, right, I have a scale, and the meals are planned out for dinner in advance for the week, right? Yeah. So I will have you know six ounces of chicken breast, like already pre-measured out, and a little bit of rice. Oh, hey, Charlotte. And just for Tom, that was a Charlotte interlude. He thoroughly enjoys whenever Charlotte comes through and gets a little uh, shout out on the podcasts. So a quick interlude uh, <laughs> while we break for Charlotte to uh, and Blitz to interrupt us, but that's the price of doing podcasts here at home. Uh, so one of the things I want to ask you, you said, uh, you struggled to hit your macronutrients. You were under, um, is that for the whole day when she would say you were under eating? Yeah. So, uh, what the way it worked was, uh, when I was working with her at the gym, uh, she would basically say, you know, here, here's your plan, right? So here's what you need to hit every week. And she would basically put a Google doc out there and, uh, uh we had a weekly check-in and what I would have to do is basically go back to the previous six or seven days and enter where I was at. Yeah. And the common theme I was hearing was, you know, you need to, you need to eat more, you need to eat more, you need to eat more. And what was it was hard because like when I first started doing it, I got re- I, it was it was a struggle to really get started because I would yeah. come into the gym and I would be really really like dizzy. There was like one workout we did one day there uh, where I got off a rower and I was just like I can't <laughs> yeah. I can't function like I just wasn't eating enough yeah. and my body was still adjusting to uh, the the calorie changes and the the nutrition changes. And I would go back and I would basically enter all these numbers into the Google Doc and Ellie would come back and say, yeah, I want you to try to eat more next week. And then I, it would just never happen. Like yeah. I just Because I got into such a groove, especially as the challenge went on or the or the, the nutrition club uh, subscription, I guess, kind of went on. Uh, it got hard. It, 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 it just, I, lost, I lost some weight and it just was like, okay, well, this is obviously working. I'm not going to change it. And yeah. I think that if I wanted to get more serious about getting stronger, 
or if I wanted to change up because my primary goal was weight loss. If I yeah. really wanted to change that stuff up, then I have to take it a little more seriously. Yeah. Well, and it's super common. I, I don't know, um, you know, the IT field, obviously, you're sitting a little bit more. And so one of the things that we see just generally in the culture for IT is uh, lower calorie intake just generally, right? And it's a lot of bars. It's a lot of quick uh, kind of quick fixes and stuff. So um, a lot of times the biggest fix that I would say, even just in the brief conversation, is getting a breakfast in would be the easiest way for you to hit those macronutrients. So if we're just doing the bar, that gets really tough. Um, but when you start to change that, that's the biggest thing is getting more feeds the lean muscle mass that you have. And then we're going to be actually naturally burning calories from building that lean mass. So that's why we want to up the caloric intake to up that metabolic rate. Uh, and so you can kind of start to improve both your performance, yep. right? But also you can make the weight loss more automated, right? Yeah. And so that kind of gets us back into that next conversation, which is when we first started diet at the gym way back in the day. Oh boy. And you started in, what, 2014? We were just, I was just thinking about this the other day. I feel like it's been five years. I really do. Because I know yeah. it started in like a January. I know it's coming up on five. Yeah, I think probably coming up on five because I know, uh, so I was just looking through the five-year five member list coming up. So I'm kind of acutely aware of where we are. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're coming up on five, so that would be 2014, right? I think yeah. you started very think early right. there. And you did a paleo challenge, which we did right at the beginning of the year, and you were pretty successful with that. So tell me about your first dive into nutrition with us. Yeah, so you, uh, you was you, actually. It was me. It was you. You're, you're the one who was putting on the paleo challenge. And as somebody who had never, like, hardcore jumped in on a – I'm really hesitant to call it a diet because diet sounds so like just I don't know. You're worried people, about your figure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I am worried about my figure. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. Uh, but I like to call it a diet. I guess yeah. it would be a, a nutritional lifestyle. Let's go yeah. with that, right? Yeah, uh, and paleo uh, was really a trip because yeah. it was not only monitoring uh, calories and tracking. Because we did the we did the MyFitnessPal stuff too there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so, so fun fact about me is Saturday night is date night, right? Yeah. So that's when the wife and I, we go out and we hit up a restaurant and usually in Dublin yeah. and it's just eat, right? Oh, uh, we just eat and that is, that is my night to do whatever, uh, kind of the cheat night if you want to call it that. And, uh, I remember when I was on paleo, I was so into it that we would go to someplace like an Oscars or a J. Lou or a Matt's, right? Yeah. And I would basically get a salad right? Just a, just a salad with vinegar and oil on it with like no like stuff that wasn't paleo. Yeah. And then like just a steak. Yeah. Like that was like dinner. And my wife used to look at me like I was a crazy person. Yeah. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, babe, it's going to work. Right. And I, and it did work. I think I ended up losing, I think, uh, we were talking about it before this, but I think it was like 18 pounds or something. Yeah. Um, and it was good, but the minute paleo ended, I gained all that weight back. Yeah. And it was it was really super depressing. It was it was good to lose the weight, and it felt good coming off, but yeah, it was really depressing. Yeah, and so, I mean, and that, in a nutshell, is why we stopped the paleo challenge. Now, we had a couple people that did those paleo challenges, learned a lot, and took it in maybe a less intense form for an extended period of time, or maybe, you know, got a couple recipes where they were generally eating a little bit healthier. But I would say the vast majority of people who are very, very successful saw that like crash all in, crash all out. Uh, and we kind of started to shift away from that because we wanted to promote less of a diet and more of a nutrition lifestyle, something that lasted just a little bit longer. So I think that that's, that's interesting. And your wife wasn't doing the challenge with you. 
right the first time if i remember right and so how did that support structure work you said she thought you were crazy but well so 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 my wife is a very very healthy person um she doesn't she doesn't work out at friendship she's a very very early morning worker outer because she has to get going to get to school she's a teacher but she is way healthier than i am like she like she has been doing meal prep stuff long before I did any of this stuff. She she has all her stuff perfectly measured out. She eats fresh stuff. She doesn't eat anything processed. She doesn't even she just hardly ever really eats red meat. Yeah. She's she's totally on her lifestyle. It's worked for her. She's even lost weight. Not that she ever needed to, I need to say that publicly. Yeah. Uh but she's <laughs> she's done really well. Yeah. Uh you know, with what with what her diet and her workout is. Yeah. And like every like we'll we'll get into fights every once in a while because I really, really want her to come up and try CrossFit one of these times. I really think she'd be do well at it because she's very, very uh cardiovascularly fit yeah not uh her mobility actually might be a little bit worse than mine which is a, which is like rare yeah uh but she uh she's she's been a runner her whole life and she's really into that stuff i really want her to come up and try workout but that's neither here nor there but she's been doing that stuff forever and she would just make me you know whatever yeah but now uh while she's getting stuff ready for the week she's also planning my stuff out for the week yeah. which you know is a huge support thing right because because sure. here's the thing if i didn't have that I don't think I would be as successful with that stuff as I am now because I just don't think that I'm the type of person uh, uh, that is not I'm, – I'm super lazy when it comes to that. So yeah. I would probably do it for about two weeks, say F this, and then be like, okay, well, you know, I'll just go get a Chipotle bowl for lunch and dinner, yeah. which I did for years when I was single. So Yeah, and I think that that's such a, a huge piece of the puzzle is finding out – and it's different for everybody, right? But – Finding the support structure system that works for you. And I think the biggest thing is just the fact that there is support, right? Uh, the yes. fact that like she is supportive of you being more healthy generally. And I think that that's something that people who don't have that and maybe don't realize it, that's going to be, you're kind of really fighting against yourself if you, if you can't kind of get there with your relationship. Yep. All right. So uh, just to kind of wrap up on some of the, nutrition stuff so you paleo challenge you crash you know you you lose 18 pounds you're super successful we gain it all back and now you started doing some more of the macro stuff and tell me about kind of where you're at now general like relative to where you started yeah so when i started doing the the nutrition thing working with ellie who is referred to in my house as saint ellie because she's that good at it uh she really helped me kind of learn the right way to eat because it's just one of those things like you don't really put too much thought into eating, I think. Yep. And she helped me uh, kind of learn how to track and know not just what calories I'm taking, but where those calories are coming from, which Paleo did a little bit. I'm not discounting like, yep. how Paleo did that. But Ellie's uh, kind of support and help and coming up with a plan and knowing where I wanted to get with my goals was really, really good. And I, I think when I started the Nutrition Challenge, I think I was pushing like anywhere between 209 and 211 consistently. And I uh, just, this is fresh in my mind, I was, I was talking to you about this before the podcast, but I just had some life insurance because when you get to my age, you just got to start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And I had a life insurance check-in and I weighed in uh, like right at like 178, 179. So, nice. so pretty, about 30 pounds, about 30 pounds man. Wow. And, and, I, and I, I'm not saying that I'm the, the fittest guy at the gym, but you know, I, I really feel like uh, 
probably some of that is like some lean muscle as well because yeah. I, I know that my lifts have gotten a little bit better yeah i always i need to get i need to get on the squat program or something because my squats just have been like plateaued as far as weight but well but so you've been choosing to really focus on you know gymnastics club and you know i think that that's one of those things where when i look at it it's you can see the gains in your gymnastics very very tangibly and just like you said, it's, you know, I'm sure that there's some muscle gain in there. There's no doubt that there is. But in terms of the physical, the coordination, the balance, and the improved just awareness of your body, I think that you've gained from gymnastics has, I think, been of significantly greater value for you specifically. But Yeah, pull-ups were all uh, – so um... – I get so I get really frustrated in a lot of aspects of life if I can't do something, mm-hmm. and there are very few things that um, that I will stick with if I am not good at. So to give a little insight into that, when I was growing up, my brother was a wrestler, mm-hmm. right? He was he was definitely the more athletic person of the family, and I just wasn't. I mean, other kids were outside playing baseball. I was glued to a computer screen, so I just wasn't wasn't a kid that was in the the sports or athletics, whatever. And it seemed like whatever he touched, whatever it was, baseball. Like we played uh, we played uh, uh, like little league. And then he got into wrestling pretty hardcore. Uh, I think I think the closest I got to playing a sport is tennis. I yep. played tennis for a few years in high school. Uh, but anyway, I just was never a person who did a lot of working out because the thing of it was is I thought that I was going to get into something, and my thing is I was I was going to be good at it or I wasn't. And if yep. I wasn't, I was going to waste my time. And you know, not realizing that stuff takes work and not everything can be raw talent. Yep. So it was like. I would get into something like baseball or wrestling, and then oh, the other one in college was judo. Oh man, yeah. uh, I uh, I did judo as electives. And, oh wow. Yeah, and our uh, our instructor That's cool they offered it. Yeah, well there was like taekwondo and judo. <laughs> I did I did judo because I just wanted to learn about leverage and stuff like yeah. that. So I did judo, and our instructor basically it wasn't like required, but you could get extra credit if you went and competed. Oh wow. And there's, I'm sure there's footage of me out there somewhere getting thrown around a mat because the problem is I'm a shorter, stockier guy, and I would get paired up uh, with guys that were taller than me. So yeah. like before I could get in there and like get low and like throw them, I was already on my back. Yeah, and it was just yeah. like it was, it was, it was chaotic. It taught me a lot of stuff. Yeah, so, I did judo for a while. It's it can get intense. Oh for my sure. god, yeah. it's so good. People who are good at it are really good at shout, it. Shout out to Master Kim at the University of Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, so, so anyway, to tie all that all back, so CrossFit was a lot of the same. So I would show up and, uh, when we were doing on-ramp, uh, the thing, the thing that gave me like my first, cause like I would come, I'd come into a first couple classes and we would do squats and I was like, okay, uh, the, not having the weight there is one thing, but then we got to overhead squats and that was the closest I think I got to quitting. And, yeah. and to this day, it's something that I still really struggle with, but I stick with it. Uh, even though that my mobility just doesn't support that movement at all. Yeah. Uh, it has been something that I've had to really uh, push myself, and I, I want to get better. And gymnastics club is a really good example of that because pull-ups were something that really frustrated me in workouts because I would always have to get in and out of a band yeah. or whatever. And I still use bands for some of the workouts, but like we did Fran a couple weeks ago, and that was the first time I ever did it at RX. Yeah. Now, granted, it was not the world's best time, but it, it was a personal accomplishment for me. Oh, that's a huge accomplishment. Because you know, yep. even just breaking up the, the pull-ups into sets, being able to get up on a bar, do some kipping pull-ups, and then do a bunch of thrusters, right? Yeah. So like that was that was really rewarding to me and being able to like stick with that stuff and keep it going yeah and i mean it's been you know it's a and just like you said it's a, i think it's so funny that it takes us until like our physical 
the the peak physical condition we're ever in, right? Our teens and our twenties have passed us by for us to understand the process of yeah. things for the most part. Like, uh, and so I think that's what's been cool to see about your stick to itiveness with the gymnastics club is you've made massive improvements there, but it's because you've been so consistent with doing it for the long term and doing it the right way and listening to Jenny and really working on things. What would you say if if you could tell people kind of one thing about gymnastics club that you know makes it something that you would recommend or makes it something that you looked forward to oh. going to and sticking to because oh, it's, of it's it's super easy it's not okay to do bad it's not okay it's, to it's do not bad. okay to do bad yeah. so that that's that's kind of the theme and it, it's a joke and it's funny but the uh, it's just you have to you have to trust the process yeah. is it doesn't really matter what we're doing in there yeah. right it is it is something that is helping you with your mobility and your strength and uh really an emphasis on really good form, yeah. right? So uh, one thing that is prone to happen in gymnastics club is if you were doing something wrong, you're basically punched in the chest. It's not a punch, it's more of a poke, but yeah. you, will, you, you will be poked in the chest to be reminded that you are not in a good shape. You are yeah. not, you're not getting the benefit of the movement we were trying to work on. And being a stickler for that good form, really, really tough for me, by the way. Uh, it's something that I, my mobility is probably my biggest hurdle still. Like the strength is the strength and you know, there's just people that are stronger than me and if I really wanted to focus on getting stronger, I could, but the mobility piece yeah. is, is the piece where uh, I struggle the most with CrossFit. And to go back and talk about kind of long-term games for a second, um, it's, it's really easy for me to, it's really easy for me to not look in the rearview mirror and say, what have I done? Yeah. Uh, I struggle with that. A lot of aspects of my life is, you know, am I better off five years, you know, five, five years on than I was? And it's, it's, am I doing better than I was? And, and, and CrossFit, just using that as an example, right? I, if I look back five years, I can't honestly say, like, at first glance, it's like, well, I haven't gotten any stronger, right? My, my front, my back squat still sucks. My front squat still sucks. I can't overhead squat. There's a, there's a lot of things that I can't do that I still couldn't do. And my mind goes to, the, I'm, I'm sucking. I'm not, I'm not getting the most out of this. Contrast that to, man, I can do kipping pull-ups now, you know, or uh, my cardiovascular fitness is good, or I've lost a lot of weight, or there's, there's other, there's other gains to celebrate that my mind doesn't focus on. And that is a mental challenge for me. There are days, there are days I walk into the gym, and this is part of the reason I don't look at the workout ahead of time. There are days I walk into the gym and I look at the whiteboard and think, oh, shit. Like there's just, it's just going to be one of those days where I don't feel good about my workout. And it's really easy to go to that place of, I'm not enjoying this. I'm, I'm, I'm not good at this. This is not what I should be doing with my time. And it's hard to break through that for me. And that's something that I still, and I, and that ties into a larger kind of theme with my life is there are just things that if I don't feel I'm good at them, I won't waste time on them and not realizing that, yeah, you're getting better. Yeah. And that's, that's tough. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, you're definitely not alone. This is something as coaches, it's like the plague of the coach athlete relationship a little bit. And Marie and I talk about this all the time because, you know, Jenny and I discuss, it's like, man, you know, look at Drew, like, look at how much better, even the stuff that you're saying you struggle with, like even your overhead squat and some of those things. Um, Cause I remember when you first came in, it was like, lunges were a big problem just even body weight lunges yeah. mobility wise yeah. um you know your ankle was, was ankles were so tight and and so now you kind of got on some of the barefoot squat stuff and we're starting to work in some of those different capacities but you know we're able to see that full picture progress but it is that focus of the athlete is so kind of you know the focus on the darkness rather than the light right it's the focus on these are the things i can't do still 
rather than the look at all these things that I now have the ability to do. And the cool part about that is, is you're older, right? Is, yep. you know, when you started, you were what, 33? Oh, uh, how old am I? I'm 38. I'm going to be 39. So I didn't get started with CrossFit until I was like 33, 34. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I always try to focus for people is, okay, you're more fit at 39. You're more mobile, right? You're more cardiovascularly fit. You've lost some weight. So you're a better body fat percentage at 39 than you were at 34, right? And if we can do that same thing trending for the next five years, and when we start to look at like, if you're looking at like a stock market bar graph of yep. your health and fitness, you'd be like, oh, hell yeah. Like yeah. this is a great investment, right? It is, it is. And, and that's, and that is something I struggle with, like I said, with a lot of aspects, right? Like it's hard for me to take that long macro view of things. Like I, I to, to tie that to a corollary with what I do for a living, right? So I, I work really hard at IGS to do the best that I can do. And there are still things that are a challenge for me from a technical perspective, like stuff that I could just read a blog post and be better about. Yeah. And there's just things that I can't wrap my head around. So uh, a, a real quick thing. So when I went to school, I, I made up my mind very, very early in high school that I wanted to go to school for computer science. I wanted to be a programmer. I wanted to do all that stuff. And I got to call. And then like we did some college credit type programming classes. So like when I started at Pitt, I came in with like 12 credits because I had done uh, basically AP type programming classes in college. And I yeah. did or in high school, and I did fairly decent at them. So I'm like, hey, this is this is a viable career. I can do this. Like, I feel pretty good about it. So yeah. applied to Pitt, got accepted, uh, did my first freshman semester with, like, all the stuff they make you do ahead of time, like, you know, 101, 100-level programming stuff. And then uh, then I got to the 200-level stuff. And I'll never forget that the moment that I decided that I did not want to be a comp sci major anymore is we had a project where you had to basically build a clock, so like a graphical representation of a clock, stuff you see on every electronic device today. Yeah. I'm not talking digital, I'm talking about clock face, yeah. hands, uh, hour, minute, second hand, right? So not only is there the programming aspect of measuring time with a computer with a microprocessor, right? But there's also the aspect of drawing stuff on the screen. Now, I am really, really bad at math. Yeah. And I remember showing up and all these kids were like, oh, I remember how to do this from Trig. And I'm like, I don't. And I remember my clock was more of an oval than a circle. And like, like it was good for the first 15 seconds. Like once, once a line got to the three, then the line like went off the screen. Yeah. Like it was just like, <laughs> I could not, could not get the coordinate plane correctly. And I remember struggling with it and, um, it just it, I was like, I don't want to be a programmer anymore. Yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. So I, I just quit. Yeah. Right. So I, ch I totally changed uh, fields of study. I went more information science, which was less of programming, more about how people interact with computers, more about how information gets out of computers. And at the time that I transferred to that, everybody would get their IS degree and then move on to an MLS degree. So you want to be a librarian. Yeah. Right. So, but now information science is kind of seen as that. How does so how like. It, it's more about like how does Google search work? How does how does information come off of, of a disk? How do people interact with a piece of software? That's kind of where information science goes as a career now, I think. And yeah. like if you look back, if, if I look at the curriculum that Pitt offers now for that school, it is more traditional programming. It's more web programming now, mm -hmm. right? Not like hardcore C, C sharp type stuff. Uh, but that's, that's the same thing, right? I got into that. I realized that I wasn't, I, okay, I've been coasting on talent for a while and I don't, I couldn't do this. I'm just going to quit. Yeah. And that is, still very much a struggle with a lot of things that I do. And I'm glad that I've stuck with it because I feel that it has shown dividends. And if I actually sit down and start writing out the stuff that I can do now yeah. versus what I couldn't do before, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. Well, and I think that's super interesting where, you know, we're never really taught to, to appreciate that process or struggle through things. And I think it's something where like 
some kids get that. I don't know if you get it from sports or from parents or from, you know, some kids like deal with martial arts and they, I always think like, you know, you have this wise sensei who teaches you to appreciate the process, but it's just not something that's taught. And it's a lot like, you know, you were talking before about, you know, you just don't, you know, Ellie's kind of teaching you about some basic nutrition fundamentals. And then, you know, I was thinking earlier today about, you know, sleep fundamentals. And it's just like some of these things that are really important that like now we gain an appreciation for like well into our 30s. It's like, man, if we could have just understood that, you know, earlier in life, like what could we have accomplished? But I think that that's super interesting. So kind of with that, um, you know, with that new focus now or with, you know, being able to focus a little bit more on, you know, the process has worked for me, you know, the gains might be slow, but like, what do you look forward to improving over this next year? And kind of how do you set your short term goals, knowing how the last five years has gone? Yeah, so uh, I was actually talking with Mitchell, uh, who works out of friendship and is just a little bit of coaching and friendship as well. I was talking to him about this. And one thing that I've always wanted to do is the master's challenge, never done it. Right, I, I think it'd be cool to do the Masters. Yeah. And again, this look, I look at it, and in previous years I have looked at the Masters or the Open even, and I look at it and I say, I can't do those workouts. It's not worth it. Right. Yeah. Even though, even though I could do them scaled, even though I could do whatever I need to do to do them, and I would probably not like tear up the leaderboards, as they say. Uh, I look at it and I say, I'm not even going to attempt. Yeah. But you know, I feel like now that my pull-ups are starting to come together a little bit more and I'm getting a little more mobile with some of the movements at the gym that I want to try. So I was having that discussion with Mitchell. So the goal is for next year is to, try, is to attempt Masters. Yeah. So like that is what something I want to try. I don't necessarily think I'm ready to do the Open, but I would love to try to do uh, the next Masters Challenge you guys do. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be a, a relatively good goal, even if I still have to scale some of the things, getting in that mindset of I'm going to really put effort into this and really try to get better at the movements uh, that are part of the Masters, then I feel like that would be a really, really big gate, a really big hurdle to get over mentally and physically. Yeah, and I think it's uh, the signing up for something, right? I have a date. Yep. I know that on that date I am going to be expected to perform. You'd be amazing how well, you know, and I'm sure you see this, um, you know, with with the seminars and with all the stuff that you prepare for to, you know, speak in front of a large group of people. And I think that that's something it's like, okay, I've got a date, I've got a presentation. I know I need to have my shit together for that presentation <laughs> uh, or, you know, or else I'm going to bomb. And I think that having that date is going to be something that like motivates you to a new degree and will you know it's the the consistency the motivation i think is it takes to a different level yeah so um in in my personal life what i do like you were referencing is like i i give i go to various uh it con, uh, conferences events whatever and i i give talks and there's a surprising amount of work that goes into that and as a supreme procrastinator that can be very very hard now Late last year, I had the opportunity to do something a little bit different where I was going to do basically a two-day online training class as part of uh, uh, working with another company to present that stuff. And uh, when I signed up for it, I didn't have a full appreciation for how much work that that was going to take. Yeah. Because typically, if I'm doing an hour-long talk, my, my general rule is if I'm preparing an hour-long talk, there's about 40 hours of prep. There's figuring out what you want to talk about, building the slides, uh, for technical demos, building the, you know, the, the demos that I want to show off yep. pr and then practice, 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 right? Yep. Not memorization, just practice. Yep. Uh, so for this two day thing, it was, um, it was, it had a target of January and I really got started on it probably like early October and it took darn near 
three months to get right. Yeah. And there are still things that I want to do better. And I've done it twice now. We're going to do it a third time in June. And it's gone really, really well. Yeah. But there, it, it is that it is that ramp up time. Yeah. And I feel like getting something ready for like the Masters. Now now I have a date. Now I have a deadline. Because yeah. before I showed up to CrossFit and it was, what is the movement I'm working on that day? And then yeah. Gymnastics Club added a little structure around we're going to get better at pulling. Or yeah. we're going to get better at you know, just being hollow yeah, or so doing handstands. Yeah. Right. I mean, there were there were goals versus coming to class and then endurance club a little bit too, right? Yeah. I look at I look at that for the week and it's like, okay, that is something I need to get done before the end of the week. Yeah. So adding goals, I think, has been really helpful for me too, and I think doing the master's thing will be a really big thing. And I'll and I will have to at some point basically hunker down and say, all right, Mitchell, you said you're going to help me with this. Like, what's what do we need to what do we need to work on? What yeah. do I need to get better at to at least have a competent showing in the master? Because that's ultimately what I'm looking to do, right? I don't necessarily want to win the Masters, but I don't want to be like dead last in the Masters. Yeah. I want to be some. If I was somewhere in the middle, I would be like a huge win for me. Well, and I always think with competitions, it's like your first goal is to make sure that you can do the movements and do them now being judged. Like I think that's the biggest thing when people yeah. first start taking on competitions is like yeah. now all of a sudden like I need you to like not you know as a as a coach not that's getting better like good job you're working that squat's good. It's like. Now your squat meets the standard with every single rep, or now your overhead position is locked out all the way with with every single rep. You know yeah. your chin is over the bar with every single pull up, and uh, it's just a little bit more scrutiny. But I think that that's great because it gives you a really nice acute attention to detail. Yeah, and I think that I think that the fear there for me is like there's going to be a workout where there's going to be a standard, and I'm going to do that first pull up and I'm going to get no rep, and that is going to shut me down. Yeah. So like getting getting mentally prepared for a no rep is also something I need to work on. Yeah, well, and when we practice, when we you know, have taken regional teams or other athletes and stuff. Um, you know, Jay and I, when we used to practice and when some of the like Masaki and RT are getting ready for the games, mm -hmm. we will judge them and we will force adversity on them and give them no reps on good reps just to mess with their minds mm. and start to get them used to like, look at the games or at regionals or at the masters. Like you're going to maybe face an incompetent judge or somebody who's maybe not focused all the way or doesn't know what they're doing, whatever it is like, you need to be prepared for that and learn how to kind of, you know, run your own race a little sure, bit. Sure. And so I think that's the biggest thing is just staying within yourself and understanding that, like, your task stays the same. Just do your best uh, for every, you know, second minute, you know, workout, however you want to take that. So I think that's really cool. Uh, so you brushed on this briefly, but I'm just super interested. So when you speak at these conferences, um, you know, you said you practice, 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 but don't memorize so do you free form then? Like you kind of have, you have your topics, you have an outline, but then do you free form when you go up and speak on stage? Yeah, sometimes. Like it's like I, I, you practice enough to know when you're coming up on an hour because typically a talk will go for an hour. Mm -hmm. And when you practice enough times, you get into a flow of stuff you need to be talking about. And where like, I can look at my watch and be like, all right, I'm 18 minutes in. Yeah. If I'm, I know if I'm, if you practice enough, you know if you're behind or if you're ahead of schedule. Yes. And one of the one of the biggest tips that I see when people get up and present is people have a tendency to read from their slides, which is like a big no no. Yes. So like your slides are there. Uh, basically, the way it should work is like if you were up there talking, uh, you flip to a new slide, and this is this is very this is very visual translates really well to a podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah right. you, you hit the you hit the clicker on the slide, right? So the slide changes, so my eyes my eyes go like this. They look up at the slide. And then like, all right, I read it. Now I'm back to you. So yep. if you're just reading it to me again, I'm mentally checked out. Yep. So what I like to do is I will flip a slide and I might say two or three words that I have on that slide and I would just kind of extrapolate a little bit because I keep my slides very, very bullet point, very, yep. very uh, 
not sentencey. So it's just like quick hits. Like, yeah. and, and doing technical presentations, I think, is an advantage because you can totally burn time in a demo. Yeah. So like if I'm up there showing a technique how to do something with a database, that's, you know, I can spend as much or as little time as I want going into the finer detail of the demo. Yeah. So I think that's a benefit. Now, if you put me up on stage and you said, Drew, you need to talk about uh, adversity for an hour, like yeah. that would be a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, just because you can't, there's nothing you can go to to transition or filler. So the, yeah. the, a talk like that is way, way harder than doing a technical talk. Yeah, and so that's a, you know, I think it's interesting because I've now at this point done a significant amount of public speaking and speaking to groups. And when I first started, I was I was script oriented, and yeah. like it only takes one or two times of doing that to know like scripts don't work at all. And then I was outline oriented and, um, you know, one of the big things I've done like an uncommon amount of best man speeches. And so when we go to weddings, <laughs> we went to a wedding last night, I always look for, do the groomsmen, does the father, do they have sheets printed out? And, oh, you know, boy. yesterday they did. And so I always think that's like one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're, if you're used to that public speaking, it, you're never going to have a sheet in front of you because you know, it's going to take away from kind of yes. how you want to actually articulate and talk with emotion and let your let your kind of feelings and, and emotions out and and this is to, this is to take nothing away from people who go up with a piece of paper for any type of talk because public speaking is hard it's yeah. not easy and yeah. some people are uncomfortable being put in that situation so i'm not to say that people who use those things are bad or wrong it's it's what gets them through that thing they have to do mm -hmm. but if you were going to do it consistently yeah. it is way better to get up and just talk Yep. Right. Be having an idea in your head of the message you want to say, getting to that point while also not talking around that point is really, really hard. So to give you an example of that is I did the Dublin's Citizens Police Academy. Yeah. And uh, which I thought was really cool. Oh, dude, it was so good. It was I such it. a unique like thing. I, when I saw you did that, I was like, it's so random, but I love it. Uh, it was so cool. Yeah. It was so it was so cool to learn about because uh, we we live in Dublin and I love I love living in Dublin. Yeah. It's such a cool place to live. Uh, they really take good care of us anyway. Uh, so at the graduation, they wanted two people to talk and reflect on the course and what we learned, what we feel about it and everything, and no one volunteered. So yeah. like after class, I pulled Sergeant Rice, who runs the event aside. I said, hey, look, if you need someone to give five, six minutes at the, at the, at the graduation, absolutely, I can do it. And it came down to me and one other lady who wanted to talk at the graduation. And... They said, well, who wants to go first? And I said, it literally does not matter to me. I can go first and I can set tone or I can close. Like, yeah. just tell me what you want me to do. So she's like, all right, you go first. And she's like, how long is your talk? And I said, I got like two or three minutes where I just want to reflect on something that I took away from the course. Yeah. Uh, so I got up there and like I had, I had a rough idea in my head. Like I didn't have slides, I didn't have anything, right? So I just had rough ideas written down that I practiced kind of speaking to. And it was one of those things where for a two or three minute thing, if I'm in the car going somewhere, it just Yep. Right, just talk out loud. It's yep. fine. It's not weird. No one's no one's there to hear you talk to yourself. Just yep. talk out loud. So I got up there and I basically said, you know, look, the the thing I got an appreciation for out of this course was uh, what the what lengths the Dublin PD goes through to keep us safe, and basically how much I appreciated it, and I have appreciation for all the stuff they do and all the stuff they don't have to do, yep. and uh, just how I, you know, the chief from the chief all the way down to the city and the and the lengths they go through to keep us safe, and it was just a reflection on. Uh, things that I learned and just really kind of a heartfelt kind of speech and it went for like two or three minutes and you know people liked it chief liked it everybody loved it uh, versus uh, the lady that came up after me and again not an indictment of how she did it but she came up with a piece of paper and you know rattled off facts from the class and all this other stuff and I'm just like 
also good, but just not how I would do it. You yeah. know, I just yeah. think I just think there's something for getting up there and being able to look at the audience the entire time and just talk yeah. is is a skill that I think should be honed just like anything else. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, I heard it somewhere where you know, high performers, good public speakers, however you want to kind of term that, uh, they they get to a place where they've already had or ran through the scenarios, the conversation, the practice in their head, like while they're, you know, laying up, waiting to go to bed, when they're driving somewhere, um, you know, whatever it is, whether it just be a stressful, difficult conversation or public speaking, they run through the scenarios in their head. And then when they actually get there to perform live, they've practiced it in their head 10 times. They've practiced it verbally out loud, maybe two or three times. And so it's able to come out much more smoothly. And and it, but there but the flip side of that is you can absolutely over practice. Yeah. You can absolutely get in your own head too. Like you can you can over you can over practice and over deliver. Yeah. And over delivering sometimes is just as stressful as under delivering because if you keep hammering the same message over and over, people are going to get bored with the message. Yeah, for sure. So like you can definitely over prepare as well. So like there you yeah. just have to get to that point where it's like I got it. You have yeah. a, you have an internal confidence. Don't overthink it. Right. Definitely. Pra- I'm not saying don't practice, but practice. Yeah. Just don't overcommit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I went and spoke, I spoke at Olentangy Liberty Middle School one time. I got invited to speak there and they do this recognition for students. Uh, you know, and they do it, I think, every month and they kind of have a theme for the month that they that they, you know, the students did something. I think the theme for the month was like, I think, commitment. Right. And uh, when I got there. I was told that the theme for the month was something like respect or something something different, right? Sure. And so I had prepared this whole like, you know, five to ten minute talk on respect and, you know, talking about, you know, a lot of people invite me because of the, because of the Tomb Guard experience and, and things like that. And they think that whatever the theme is for the month relates to the Tomb Guard experience. Uh, and so when I got up there and it was like everything I had prepared was completely pointless <laughs> and irrelevant. And, you know, I talk about just rambling and crushing five minutes with like, it's like when people came up to me afterwards and they were like, Oh, that was great. Thanks. I'm like, no, that was terrible. That was like, <laughs> that was like the worst I could possibly perform. I bombed. So, yeah. uh, but you know, useful experience either way. And, and you know, I, I, to tie this kind of back to a CrossFit thing is that I don't know if I would be as good a speaker as I am, if I didn't have things like CrossFit or stuff that stuff like that, that drives me. Right, that helps me kind of get through mental barriers sometimes because it can be hard. Yeah. Uh, so I think that CrossFit has benefited me mentally just as much physically for something like that because it, it, I mean I'm sure it's cliche because people look for CrossFit or fitness in general as something that can help them through life. But some of the stuff that I've had to deal with adversity-wise at Friendship, uh, you know, whether it be my ankle or my mobility or you know being out sick or whatever, uh, has helped drive and shape a lot of the stuff that I work on outside of that stuff too. So I think that, I think that any fitness, right. I think that any fitness can help you get through some of that mental stuff as well. Well, and you, you know, you think about it, it's like it, you guys do handstand circles in gymnastics club, right. Yep. And my assumption, at least if you're anything like me is you've probably fallen on your butt doing the handstand circle. Oh, yes. So now you're, if you're lucky, up if, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, butt. yeah, it's your butt, <laughs> right. Uh, so you're 10 to 15 people, sometimes strangers, and you're kicking up into a handstand going inverted and a lot of people, this is like their first time really trying this and you've got coach Jenny and she's got strict rules and like, there's a little bit of pressure there. 
So it's funny you mentioned handstands, right? Handstands were a big struggle for me for a long time, even against the wall. Yeah, big struggle for me. And if Jay or Kristen are listening, uh, they were they. I'm sure they have fond memories of them trying to help me kick up against the wall because yeah. I just it was not something that I could just do. And I don't necessarily think it was a strength thing. I just think that being upside down is not something people were used to being. Yeah, for sure. So I, I I'm sure they have memories of me trying to kick up against the wall even. And now it's like kicking up against the wall is like just nothing, right? Yeah. And it's just it's one of those things that I look back on and I don't even think of it as a big win yeah just because it's so routine now yeah thinking but like if you actually put that in perspective of where i was two three years ago yeah not being able to do that in class or just even before class yeah and now freestanding right like, yeah and now you do it in front of people and like when you kick up i'm sure that like the nerves are just not there right it's no. kind of that same thing so that's what i think about a lot with you know you get to do these tasks and these things and you get it around people and at first everybody's like so you know they clam up and it's like it's like no trust me this is a supportive environment you can learn to you can fail comfortably in front of everybody here and nobody's going to think anything different of it sure but i think that that's one of those things just like you said once you start to accomplish that and you accomplish tasks in front of and around other people now when you go to public speak and stuff again i think all that's just confidence building but mm -hmm. being around strangers and being able to do those things that are scary you know is yep. is is awesome so very yep. cool all right, so last couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, so first thing I want to go on is your car. All right, mm. so uh, I know for a long time you were dancing around what car you wanted. You were searching. I know there were some BMWs in there, and uh, and this was you were posting kind of all the different cars that you wanted. Yeah. And tell me what you ended on and why you ended on it, and tell me you know your your general happiness with it so far. Uh, yeah, so I recently purchased a Mercedes C43, which if you are a car nerd listening, you will say, that's not a real AMG, and I'll say, I don't really care what you think. So, <laughs> so like, that is, a, that, is a, that is a constant source of consternation. So not to dip too far into car culture, right? So Mercedes makes a, uh, a higher-end uh, kind of performance sports sedan, uh, or performance sports cars, really, and their AMG brand. Yeah. So... The C43, which was, I think, 2017 was the first model year they had that. Basically, what they did is they took their C400 and their C450 sedans and basically rebadged them as AMG. So if you were to go to a Mercedes dealership and you were going to buy a C300, what you're getting is you're getting a four-cylinder, uh, really nice kind of entry level into the Mercedes brand, yeah. comfortable car. Yeah. So with the C43, what they do is they basically take out that four-cylinder and they drop in a nice uh, bi-turbo six-cylinder that just performs beautifully and it and here's the thing and this is where car nerds will, will yell at me is it's it is it is a it is a six-cylinder bi-turbo that is tuned by amg but the problem is is that amg nerds and mercedes nerds will look at that and say well nobody signed your engine and what they mean by that is is when you when you buy a real air quotes amg yeah. uh the engine and uh, different parts of the car are hand built yeah. so what if you crack the hood if you were to go to a dealership or if you know somebody who owns an amg if you pop the hood and you look at the engine there will be a plaque on there where the engine builder signed your engine that is, oh, well, there's a person sure. signing off on your engine now yep. with with that car that is a mass-produced six-cylinder engine tuned by amg not actually hand built by somebody it is a engine that was i think assembled in somewhere in alabama or arkansas one of the two yeah but that being said, it is uh, it is a fantastic car to drive. The transmission and all the little other accents of it are basically all AMG parts, and it is a fantastic car to drive. And when I was shopping for cars, so I, I am definitely a car snob. I'm, I'm snobby about a few things. I'm definitely snobby about cars. Yeah. And 
when I, I for I, I spend way too much money on cars, so I've I've owned way too many new cars for how old as I am. Yeah. And uh, I'm really really digging the Mercedes right now. I think it's a great car. I went from an Audi to that. Yeah. I had an S4, which was a very very fun car to drive. I really enjoyed it when I was jetting from the house to work or the house to gym. Now, if I were to take that, I, I tend to go on long road trips uh, for speaking engagements or to visit family in yeah. other states. Not the best car in the world to drive for that because it was very stiff, very rigid. Yeah. Um, passengers, for whatever reason, really tended to get car sick in it. I don't know why. I don't know if it was the way I drove or just the way it felt. I don't know. I think that people stare at cell phones now when they're riding in cars, and I think that's produced higher levels of I car sickness. Don't disagree, but yeah. even people who weren't were, would, oh, would say to me, man, I have a headache now hmm. for being in that car. And uh, it was a really, really fun car to drive. It had some problems, but they weren't mechanical problems. There yep. were there were problems with the multimedia interface in it, and it was just an annoyance more than anything else. And it took several bouts of dealing with Audi to get it fixed. But And that left a bad taste in my mouth. But it's it's way different when you have like a quality of life thing wrong with your car versus a mechanical problem. Like if I had a problem with the transmission and it kept coming back, like that would be a bad ownership experience for yeah. me. It was an annoying ownership experience for the Audi. Now the Mercedes, on the other hand, uh, way, way different because that car has different settings that you can put it in. So like if I'm driving from my house to your house to do a podcast, I can leave it in comfort mode and yeah. it's just like driving your living room. But if I if I really want to get a little crazy with it, I can turn on a bunch of different sport settings, I can turn on the performance exhaust sound and I can have a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's been a really good car to own so far. It's only got about 7,000 miles on it, so I'm a little I'm, you know, not even a year into ownership yet, but I can already tell that just being part of that Mercedes brand is like a whole and I think that's why people buy into a car like that, right? Is you are yeah. buying into that brand as well. So yeah. I think it's been a really good ownership experience for me. Uh, I, I did not, believe me, I did not dislike the Audi. It's just, this is a whole new tier. Yeah. And I remember that when I was shopping for cars, what I really wanted to get into was something like an M3. Yeah. Uh, that has been a bar that I set for myself as a goal of a car that I want to own just because it is a, you know, it's a luxury brand. It's a very, very, very fast car. Um, more horsepower than you'll probably ever need in your life. Yeah. The problem is, is that you live here in central Ohio, so owning a rear-wheel drive-only car is a dicey proposition at yeah. best, right? Yeah. Now, there are people listening that I sure that I think probably own like Chargers or Challengers or things that are rear-wheel drive, and yeah. they think, well, I get along fine. And I'm like, yeah, you get around fine till you don't. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so, I was going to say, it only takes one spin out to... to right, to really, really make it clam up a little bit. So yeah. I have tended to own cars that are all-wheel drive or semi-all-wheel drive. So... Yeah. I owned a Subaru for many years. It was the first car that I ever bought myself was a Subaru. It was a, it was a legacy wagon, and it was, like, such a good car. Yeah. I drove that car up the wall. Uh, and then I owned uh, an Acura that was front-wheel drive, and it was good. It was the first year they launched the Model RSX. I had an RSX-S. I loved that car. It was yeah. like the Integra Reborn. It was yeah. a great car to own. That was my first car as an Integra. Yeah. It, was, it, had, a, it had a six-speed. I'm a big manual transmission guy. I, I pour one out for the death of the manual transmission. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, then I got into Infinities uh, just because it was like a, kind of like the entry level uh, higher end badge Nissan, and it, that that to me was still probably my favorite car. I owned that car for five years. It's very rare for me to keep a car that long. Yeah, I tend to keep cars for three to four years, and then I trade them in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes sooner if I don't like the car. Yeah, uh, there were some flirtations with Volkswagen that didn't end well. I actually had a lemon from Volkswagen. I had to get rid of that. Um, then I then I had the um, then I had a Civic. Uh, the year that they launched the new, uh, uh, what do they call them? The, not, not the Type R's, but uh, maybe that's what it was. It was the first year they launched the, the redesigned Civic hatch yeah. with, a, with, a, with a more powerful engine in it. Yeah. And that was, that was a really fun car to drive. Yeah. Then I had the Infiniti. I had an Infiniti SUV, which was more a car than I honestly needed. It was fun to tote around hockey equipment in it and you know, stuff for shooting or whatnot. And it was good for that, but it was, just, it was more car than I needed. Uh, got rid of that, got the Audi, and then I had the Mercedes now. So it's like, 
cars are, cars are something that I, I really enjoy. Yeah. I enjoy driving them. Um, and I'm not a guy who goes out and does a lot of stuff to a car when I own it. Because I know some people, uh, I have a buddy who has a uh, uh, one of the chargers, one of the new chargers, I think. And he's got like the, the, the beefed up sport pack on it. Yeah. It's got, you know, it's like 300 some almost 400 horsepower and he like tints his windows and yeah. he wants to put a new exhaust on it he wants to ecu tune it and all that and like i just i'm not about that like i like getting a car I like owning the car i like enjoying the car kind of how the manufacturer had a vision for it yeah. right it was yeah. it was marketed to a specific segment and if i if, like it's one of those things where it's like if i really want the extra performance i would rather buy a c63 right yeah, like more, big more big car. v8 right yeah. like get get the car that i really wanted versus yeah. getting the car and making it into what i wanted yeah. it's just me but no, I think that that's it. so. Back when I owned a motorcycle, I thought it was very it was very interesting to see. There's like Harley people who buy the Harley that they want, and then like they you know if you want a nicer Harley or a specific pack or something, you can buy you know Screaming Eagle packages. You can buy them these sep- different separate ways. Yep. Or you get the people who like I'm going to individually customize the handlebars, the wheels, the rear view mirrors, and try to do this. And so when I started looking at buying one, it was like you start seeing these two different people kind of playing themselves out. And then, like, it's funny to see what people brag about when they're trying to sell them sure. to you. It's like, oh, yeah, I did this and I did that and I did this. And I'm like, I actually think that takes away from it. Like, I want something that's I think it does, too. I think it does, too. And a lot of the things that people do to car nowadays will, at at best, void your warranty. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, and then like, you know, oh man, I ECU tu- tuned my car and then I blew a gasket. Well, yeah. the dealership's going to be like, well, this is you. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's, I think, that's I, 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 I think there's a risk there. And I, if some people are, are comfortable running that risk, but like, well, I think when you buy a car, I don't care how much you spend. I think if, you, if you're willing to run that type of risk, good on you. But yeah. like, I bought that car. I'm aware of its performance specifications. I know what it can and it can't do. Yeah. Right. And I'm 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 really happy with it. It's it's a lot of fun, and I, I love the fact that uh, it's kind of the first car. I, I would I will definitely say it is the nicest car I've owned. It's the most powerful car I've owned. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I don't necessarily get crazy in it. Yeah. Right. I'm not the kind of person who wants to slide around a corner or pass people on a two lane road on blind hills. That kind of crap. Yeah. Um. But you know, look, if I'm on 270 or if I'm on sawmill, and you know. I want to pass somebody that power is there yeah. and it's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I think that's what, uh, you know, the, the lead foot in you ha- always has to be aware of. Uh, that was always my dad's thing is, you know, looking at buying a new car. It's like, you know, dad, maybe you should not buy something very fast. <laughs> the speeding tickets are starting to, you know, rack up oh, here. So, speeding tickets. um, so yeah, I think that that's, uh, that, that's great. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, my first, uh, first car was, uh, an Integra type bar manual, and uh, still have a huge affinity for both manual um, and uh, that that whole kind of Acura that Type R type line. So, so, so I will say the Mercedes has ruined me in a lot of different ways. But um, the S4 I had was a was a six speed manual, and I loved shifting gears. I yeah. love it. Uh, I would love to own a car that is a manual transmission, and it's just getting harder and harder to find that. Thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Jenny just bought one, and so I like have moved it around the parking lot, and I took it one day. My car's, you know, unfortunately had to be uh, in the shop a few times, so I was driving it around. Man, you, I, I love it more than anything because it's like cell phone is not an option anymore. No, that's the thing. That's yeah, what I love you you one. have to be more invested in your drive. You are. Yeah. You, you you definitely feel like you're more in control of your car. Yeah. Now the Mercedes, uh, to to put it into gear, there it's almost it's like a throwback to uh, the old uh, yeah. uh, steering column shifter. Yeah, so yeah. to to put it into gear is on the steering column. Now yeah. I will get into other people's cars who, 
uh, have manual transmissions that uh, you have to do the center console thing. Yeah. And I will accidentally turn on like their high beams or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah, like, I'm trying yeah. to put the car in gear um, or turn on their turn signals. Um, and uh, it's got the paddle shifters, which oh, yeah. uh, my Infinity had that, but I never used them. Yeah. You know, I just never never had the need for it. Now with that car, you can you can put it in the manual shift mode, and it's got like the heads up display. Like you you go total like fast. You go been you know you go Toretto style on that yeah. thing. It's yeah. like crazy. It's nuts. But yeah, uh, big manual transmission guy. I would love the next car I own to have that. I just don't think when it's time for me to buy another car, that's going to be an option. I, yeah, I, I think it's yeah, gone. I, think I do. Good. I do definitely think as we start shifting to more electronic type cars and all those different things, I think they're just gonna or self driving cars. I mean, we're we're shifting far from the, to the other end of the spectrum <laughs> on that end. It, it's funny. I I um I I'm a technology guy. I love tech. I just uh, self driving cars, man. I I don't ever want it, and that's part of the reason why I hate flying is yeah. I don't like being in control of how I'm moving. Yeah, like I. Ooh man, that that would be a hard thing to do is sit there and not have my hands on the wheel. Yeah, the removing of control. I feel like you know everybody. I think sees the benefit from the convenience end of things, right? It's like sure, on my commute, I can get things done now. It's like you know in DC, it's like you ride the metro, you see all these people. They're getting stuff done that you know whether it be school projects or work or something along those lines, or just reading the newspaper, right? But you can get things done on the way, and you can plan to get that thing done on the way. As opposed to, you know, the drivers, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you can listen to some podcasts and mm-hmm. some different things like that. But, uh, you know, for the most part, like, we are bogged down into that. But I think it's the, there's still people out there who are always going to have that love of driving. I mean, driving is an action that I, I think some people, and I'm the same way. I, I love, love I love driving. I don't ever want to feel like I give that up. And if I, if they do get to self-driving cars, it's like, well, they're never going to get to self-driving motorcycle, or at least not for a <laughs> while, right? So then we'll shift back into motorcycle. Oh, uh, I'm not allowed to own a motorcycle. It's funny though. Um, a couple things about self-driving cars, real quick. I there, I see a lot of concept sketches online of what of what the self-driving cars of the future are going to look like, and they are basically cars where the seats, if you're if you're in control, the seat is facing forward. Otherwise, you can turn the seat around yeah. basically 180 degrees, and you're like having what amounts to a meeting essentially in your car at that point. It's like a private meeting room of your car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you want to talk about car sickness. That'll probably do oh it Oh my me. God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then, um, and then what's the solution to that? Well, we'll black out the windows and I'm like, Oh cool. You're in a box moving that you can't see. Great. Yeah. Uh, going to get T-boned by right. another road. Exactly. You'll, ne- you'll never see wall. it coming. Yeah. And the other one was, uh, to, to tie this, to t- if I found this hilarious is, uh, I saw an article linked, uh, on Twitter the other day where Bentley was talking about self-driving cars and they're like, well, we're not going to get into self-driving cars because our, 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 our owners have chauffeurs. So technically you already have a self-driving car. It's like, and they, they're not, say, they're, of all people, they're to... not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. The diving into that world is so interesting. And so I think that's one of those things where like somebody wrote a great article talking about how it's going to change the world that people aren't talking about because everybody's talking about the the cars themselves and being in the cars themselves. Mm-hmm. But what people don't think about is the amount of you know organ donations that are from car accidents that will effectively be reduced by something like 90%. And so they, you know, the discussion on that is like, you're, you know, going to have to start like 3D printing organs to make up for that difference. And then you've got, um, you know, all these homes that people have purchased where, you know, real estate and market price and all these things are dictated by having a two and a half car garage where that will go away. And there's all these different things where it's like, you're going to be, and then what do you do with the 
500 million cars like what are we going to do with all all that stuff yeah if that just goes away it's like unless you have a convertible kit or something where like we're going to convert the cars we have into self-driving right um you know i think it's the the question for like a societal and then obviously i think the big one's going to be the you know what are these 10 fortune 500 companies that are dictated on oil and current cars you know people needing all those cars it's like they're relying upon that from what i understand though that the big the big appeal um of society of self-driving cars is efficiency right so if you look at a road like sawmill or bethel or 33 yeah the the problem there is you have a lot of start and stop traffic and it's like if you have one person that slows down that cascades down the line people having to slow down and speed up behind you that's how delays happen yep when you look at the concept of self-driving cars, I think I think the promise of that is is that if you automate all that, right, and you have cars communicating with each other of when they're slowing down, yeah. you can eliminate some of those delays of start-stop traffic, and yeah. then you have all the cars talking to each other of this is the speed we need to be traveling safely to get through this congestion, yeah. or being able to coordinate with things like stoplights, yeah. or uh, having all of that connectivity of self-driving cars makes roads more efficient. So that way you can have tip, you can have bumper to bumper traffic traveling at 60 miles an hour because you have all these things talking to each other. Yeah. Roads get more efficient, transportation gets more efficient. Yeah. Versus traffic where some guy's on a cell phone and he's slowing down constantly and causing delays, not just for the person directly behind him, yeah. but, the, but the guy a quarter mile back yeah. having to slow down constantly yeah. to deal with that, that too. That girl driving out of Chipotle who let the entire left turn signal go the other day and people like <laughs> caught me at three 30 class coming back and like i was so hot because <laughs> this girl's sitting staring at her cell phone for the entire left turn signal green yellow and red oh boy. and it's just like and now you've got you know 20 cars and you just see the small impact of traffic but it's like yeah you you accumulate that times you know, how many people doing that at the same time in columbus right. five thousand, and then you got big problems right so that so that so you're talking about sawmill but then you're also talking about getting bigger right you're talking about columbus as a whole you're talking yep. about a 315 a 70 a 71 yep. interchange where all these cars are talking to each other and yep. they're constantly adjusting their algorithms for driving and knowing where they need to go everybody knows everybody else knows where everybody else is going yep. uh, and being able to route accordingly and applying higher level like machine learning algorithms and and compute at figuring out the most optimal way to organize these cars in such a way and then them doing it for you i think that is the ultimate promise of where self-driving cars will take us yeah yeah i'm uh, obviously at this point like i'm looking more for uh less convenience out of things than i am more convenience out of things it's Mm going to be an interesting question if that becomes one of them all right, so last thing here is to talk a little bit about some recommendations from you for the city of Dublin. So we have a lot of people who are new to Dublin and some people who maybe haven't lived here and are maybe looking for a place to take Saturday date night. What are your top places, your best recommended, maybe places and dishes? What do you get at mm. like a J.Lu? All right, so yeah, you, 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 help, you hit it right on the head for me. It's my absolute favorite restaurant in Dublin. In fact, I would probably say all of Columbus, quite frankly, is, oh. is J.Lu of Dublin. Yeah. Uh, not to throw any shade at J.Lu of Worthington. It's just that <laughs> if you go there, like I just don't think the food is as good. Yeah. I, we've been there for parties and been there to meet friends because they live closer to Worthington. But for whatever reason, it, everything just tastes better at the one at Dublin. I don't know if it's because the original or what. Yeah. Uh, but I am the biggest fan of J. Lou of Dublin. And when I go there, uh, I really like to get the steak frites. Yeah. Um, it, it just it's a it's a it's a small portion of hanger steak. You get garlic fries, just phenomenal. Uh, their sesame chicken can't go wrong. Um, they have uh, my wife is a huge fan of the salmon. Yeah. The way they the way they prepare it. 
And if you go there, shout out to Andre. He's the best server in the world. Takes care of us every time we go in there. Yeah. Just, just fantastic. Great place to go. Great place to eat. Uh, you can usually just walk right in and get a table. Uh, I mean, outside of the 7 to 8.30 hour at, on a Saturday night, usually pretty easy to come in and get a table. Patio season right now, great time to sit outside. Johnson's Ice Cream right and Jenny's right across the street. Like, yeah. just great place, very walkable. Uh, lots of good parking. So you just roll in, park, eat dinner. They have good desserts at J. Lou, but like I'm, I, I have kind of migrated away from Jenny's and have gone yeah. more Johnson's. Okay. Uh, just because um, sometimes I just want regular ice cream. Yeah. You know, and the Johnson's really hits that on the head for me. A really good sorbet as well. Nice. Uh, so J. Lou's really good. Big fan of Tucci's. Big fan of Oscars. Okay. Uh, if you go to Tucci's, uh, the lasagna out of this world. Yeah. Uh, you get a nice mix of Alfredo and then like uh, like a, I don't know if it's a pomodoro sauce or whatever, and then they use sausage yeah. in there. Oh, so good. Uh, really good scallops, uh, seafood in there as well. Uh, if you're a wine person, I would say Tucci's. Tucci's or Oscar's really for good wine. Yeah. If you're really looking for a good place to chill out and have a good good thing of wine. Oscar's really, really good. The atmosphere, I think, is better in Oscar's than anywhere else. Uh, it's just in its old house in old Dublin, and it's just, it's just really good food. Um, I, in there, they have some really good pasta dishes. Um, I, I don't really know the name of the menu item, but there's this one that comes with like pine nuts in it. And you wouldn't think that would be something that would taste good with wow. what you're eating, but yeah. it's just, just a perfect mix. Yeah, unique. Yeah, and like Saturday night, like I said, is date night, and that's when we go out and we do all those things. Um, do you guys try new places consistently, or do you feel like you kind of end yeah, up going places of we, comfort? We are, we are definitely creatures of habit. Yeah. We will branch out and try some other things. Uh, we make it over to Powell a fair bit for some of the new restaurants that spring up over there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, with all the new construction in Dublin, yeah. there's some new places coming in. Now, I will say that a lot of the places that have come into kind of that Bridge Street corridor, so Bridge Street in Dublin is all that new development, new uh, housing, yep. entertainment. There's a Pins Mechanical over there. Yep. They're, um, those See, those type of restaurants isn't typically what we go to because they're more chains. Yeah, it's not date nighty, right? It's more like uh, mass out. people yeah. bar bar type feels like Ram and Pins and yeah. and, uh, and, and like, even Condados, which is coming, is is more of like a a big group atmosphere. If you're going to go on a date, you definitely might want something a little or bit even, more. Or even even if you're just with one other couple, I find that yeah. going to these other kind of established places are, are really, really kind of where it's at. I'm not a big fan of some of those places over on Bridge Street right now. Um, I guess the exception might be Cap City just because it's kind of an established Columbus thing. Yeah. But I've never been a big fan of Cap City. Like, I just typically don't enjoy it. I know everybody raves about the meatloaf and good on you. It's just not a place that I like to go to. Yeah. It's not one of my – like, if I, got, if I have a choice of going there or somewhere else in Dublin, I will always choose kind of somewhere else. Now, if people are like, I really want to go to Cap City, and, and I'm not going to say no. Yeah. You know? I struggled at Cap City. We went the first time, and I looked at the menu, and I was really like – Wow, I'm not sure about any of this. It's unique. It's that, like, southern style. Yeah. But I will say that I went with, like, the southern style chicken, which has, like, a pecan honey glaze mm -hmm. on it. And it was actually, like, phenomenal. It was really good. But just like you said, still, I would say even if we talk about an environment, it's not necessarily going to be the let's sit and enjoy each other's company yes. and have a it's good loud. conversation. It's yeah, really it's, loud. it's loud. Yeah, so I do think that that's, uh, that's one of those things. And, and, and different people are going to want different things for different social situations. Yep. Uh, but I do think that. So, okay, so Tucci's, Oscars, J. Lou yep. are your three go-tos. I, I, would, I would say that if you are in Dublin or you were visiting Dublin, and, it's in, and if you ask me where should I go, yeah. absolutely. And like if people come into town, like people I used to work with or people I work with now, if they are – if they have friends coming into town or if people are coming in for work, I will always recommend those places. Those yeah. just 
they're they're small-ish. They're not they're not huge cram people in type places. Like there are small intimate tables yeah. and the the food is really good quality and the atmosphere is really great. You're very well taken care of. I yeah. wouldn't say that it's even that expensive compared to other restaurants you can go and spend money at. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But granted, if you're gonna go in and you're gonna have drinks, you're gonna have dessert, you're gonna have an appetizer, you're gonna have a salad, you're gonna have a meal. Like you're gonna yeah, it's gonna be more than going to like Chipotle, right? Yeah, but exactly. like but still I think that that is such a that is such a good thing to do is just go down and sit down and have a nice meal. Yeah. Like it's just it's just a good way to spend a Saturday night. So it's like Saturdays for us is we run errands we cap it off with a really nice meal somewhere. It's yeah. just it's just great. And all those restaurants do a good job of doing that. Yeah, I think that's a great – I mean, it's an awesome habit. And I definitely think that that's something that – you know, I hope that – I hope the podcast – we talked about relationship stuff and yep. making sure that you set that time out. I think it's awesome that you do it. I think that that's one of those things that really can make such a tangible benefit for people just in having something to look forward to to cap the week off, having some sort of a, you know – I haven't seen my wife a lot this week, or maybe we just haven't had a good conversation. We're feeling distant from each other, but we know we've got this time banked at the end of the week that we're uh, going to be able to catch I, up on it. So, so yes, totally agree. But the problem is what we fall in the habit of checking phones at dinner. Oh, and yeah. that, it's, it's a tough habit to break. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, you're not even allowed to bring it into the restaurant. Oh, uh, see, we're not, yeah. we're not quite there. Cause I'm always technically on call for yeah. work. It's such a lame excuse. Like, yeah. like there's there's no reason, and I don't think IGS has this expectation. But if something really did break, like horribly break, and they needed me, they yeah. could get a hold of me. Yeah. And uh, there, I we we have we have some redundancy in that. There's another guy I work with that does the same thing I do. So like, it's you, chances of getting a hold of one of us is really good. Yeah. Um, but I like having my phone nearby for other reasons. Uh, but it is it is a tough thing to break. So she will yell at me. For being on the phone sometimes. I wonder if you could do a like virtual assistant or a call forwarding, um, even just for that three hours a week. Like it would have to be relatively inexpensive. Yeah, and I mean, forward they're, they're, it right over to the restaurant and just say, you know, the, the, the IGS is going to call you and it's going to be you know, Jay Lou's. How can I help you? And it's exactly. Gonna be like, what? Yeah, I'm looking for, I'm looking for like, Drew. Drew. And they're like, oh, you mean yeah. Mr. Ferjewell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they might still find you that way. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I so think, I think I, I think Jay Lou's the only restaurant I can get away with that in because yeah. we're there so much and like it, it is one of those things that you do start to build up a relationship with servers oh, and, yeah. and hostesses after a while. So like we walk in and like. They they know they know our drink order. Yeah. Like they they just like Andre takes such good care of us. Like oh, I love having like there's few things in the world that I enjoy more than being able to walk into a place and they just look at you and go the usual and you go yep and then you're just boom you're taken care of. I love like that. I could tell you I could tell you the name of Andre's dogs. Yeah. I could tell you I could tell you the last time they got into big trouble because they ate they one dog ate an entire pizza. Yeah. Right. Like I could I could I could tell you everything about Andre. I love that though. I mean I think I'm such a. I'm such a relationship, but it is why I want to do this. It's I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy sitting down with people, learning more about them, and you know, growing together. I think that's you know, we talk about being on the phone too often. I think that that's where you know we've started to shift in society and culture and so on. And I think if we can start to just do some small things to shift back, and just even getting to know a waiter that you that you see consistently I mean, it's yeah. a great it's a great example of it and just like that then same thing like now you've got a great relationship with somebody you feel comfortable there you recommend it it's good for his business mm -hmm. and it's good for you because you get very well taken care of when you go and so now we've got you know it's kind of one of those it's 
win 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 for everybody involved and you know so i, I think that and, that's and, where ha- we and having those and having that kind of relationship right like a semi-professional semi-casual relationship with yeah. a place like that is so great because we had a, a gymnastics club holiday party at j loop yeah and like i called him up and i said look this is what i want to do yeah i want andre to take care of us and that's exactly what happened right yeah. and they they made that happen and like andre andre is not the kind of guy that like what, what I, I guess i don't i've never waited tables so i don't know how true this is or not but he basically says i hate waiting on large groups yeah uh, just because it is a challenge and it can be stressful. Especially yeah, like for a, sure. Yeah, and, but he's like, for you, whatever you need. Like, yeah. that that kind of relationship, right? Yeah, it's, it's so great. good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I waited tables. It's the it's it, the most under like disrespected, however you want to put it, like mm-hmm. underappreciated job. If you go and you get like somebody who is world class, I'm like a I'm like a fifty percent tip person. If I get uh, world class service, well, it's just because it's so rare now. Yeah. I mean, I I do feel like I mean I don't do it often because I don't feel like I get world class service in that capacity. But I feel like when you really see somebody who like, wow, like I had water every time I needed it. I like. It, Everything I asked for came out exactly the way I wanted it. The appetizers were right. They knew the specials off the top of their head. They didn't – like, the one that really impresses me is they didn't have to write down my order. Bingo. Like, man, yep. like, dude, this this guy is a pro. And, I love and, it. And and we're and we're I, we're probably a bigger pains in the ass than most because we're always asking for things to be excluded or included. <laughs> yeah. or stuff. So, like, like, if you can get all that and not write it down yeah. – like, I, I start – now, okay, so let's talk about tipping for a minute because yeah. I, I want to pick your brain about this because yeah. I, have, I have legit – questions about tipping because yeah. i have been accused of being a bad tipper okay and i and i want i want to get some clarity here yeah which i so, think is interesting how societally that's like a it's like this conviction it's well like, it is like yeah. someone someone called me a bad tipper the other day and it hit it hit very it hit yeah. me in a way that i was not expecting yeah because i don't think i, I i'm i first of all I'm, I'm definitely pro tip i i i think that it sucks we live in a society where people need tips to get by mm-hmm. I, I think we could have a so a total social commentary about that but regardless right so i'm a flat 20% tipper. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if I go to a restaurant, especially a restaurant I haven't been before, it actually takes a lot for me to not tip. Yeah. Like you, for me to dip below that 20%, like you have to be trying to be bad yeah. at something, right? Yeah. But whereas if I go to a place where I'm familiar and I'm always getting good service, I will go well and I will go well above 20%. Yeah. Okay. Um, but here's my larger question. So with the rise of um, billing systems and point of sale systems, you go to uh, like say Jenny's yeah. or a Starbucks yeah. and you you insert your chip, right? And then it asks you if you want to add a tip. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've got a great. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Right. And it's like, wait a minute. Okay. I didn't sit down, right? Yeah. But I still baristas work hard. I'm not taking that away from a yeah. barista. Uh, so maybe Starbucks is a bad example because I typically do tack on five or ten percent to my tab. Yeah. But like when I go and pick up my Chinese food, mm-hmm. right? Is that a tip? Yeah. So like, <laughs> all right. So here's a great one. So we went to Laser Tag yesterday. Okay. And the Laser Tag had a tip line. Right. On it, and it's just like, is it? Does this just come with your system? Like, I don't. Well, I or think... are we actually supposed to be giving a tip? Oh. So Andy gave a tip because it's on the line, and I feel like it's now. If you're a business, like, sure, just tack it on the receipt. Like maybe you grab some it's, extra tips. It's it's brilliant right it because it's there it puts you on the spot i was like well i mean i did come to your place and use your stuff so <laughs> yeah. i guess yeah yeah i did <laughs> uh the ones that get me are the you know 
Chipotle type or uh, you know North Star is one that does this. Have you ever been to North Star? Mm-mm. So you walk in and it's an order up front, right? And so okay. you order just like you would order at a McDonald's or a Chipotle. You know, it's not even a line. It's just you order your food. You get a number. You put the number up on your table. And oh, they I bring have been the, to North Star. Yeah, yes, okay, and they bring yeah. the food out to you. And that's the one that really gets me because like, okay, there's clearly a wait staff, but I'm responsible for my own drinks. I'm responsible for, you know, napkins and silverware and some things like that. Like, it's just all, it's all community. It's all group oriented. Right. And, uh, and so, but, but if I need barbecue sauce or something, I ask that wait staff and they bring it out. And, but your tip is at the very beginning of Mm. the ordering process. You have no idea. You have no clue if you're going to actually get service or not, man. It, I've been there. It's one of, if not Maria's favorite restaurants. And Mm. so she loves it. And hashtag burger salad. uh, Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Grant loves it. Kristen loves it. Jenny loves like a lot of people in my life. North star is a go-to. And so I'm constantly in this battle and like, that's, that's where the social commentary needs to go. Is like, is that a tip place? Is it not a tip place? Do we adjust to five or ten so percent for that? I or? think that I think that that is probably the best example you can give. Now, kind of my hard and fast rule is: is did I use your facilities? Yeah. So, like, did I? If I go to Starbucks and I'm meeting somebody there, and we're gonna order some, and we're gonna order some coffee, and we're gonna hang out for a little while, maybe throw some scones around at each other or whatever. Yeah. I will. I'm more than likely to leave a tip there versus I'm running in, getting americano, and leaving. Yeah. Like that, to me, to me, that's the line. Did yeah. I, did I, did I, did I inconvenience you because you got to clean up after me? Yeah. You have to wait on me. I feel like that is where the tip comes in. Yeah. Right now, like let's say Chipotle changes around their point of sale, mm-hmm. right, and all of a sudden you start getting that tip. I think I'm less inclined to leave a tip for something. Like well, that. they have a tip jar. They do have a tip jar. Yeah. Which is different and really shameful because i hardly ever carry cash so like yeah exactly yeah i feel like that i feel like at this point a tip jar is gonna i mean you gotta move on from that it's not gonna work yeah i get i catch crap all the time from one of my buddies who always carries cash he's yeah. like if you're like if you're going into starbucks just pay with cash and i'm like i feel like now it's slower to play with cash than it is with a card yeah it is for sure well and it's only going to get worse as less and less cashiers get used to being paid with cash yeah well and what's so interesting is the the north star has one of the the those sophisticated you know turn it around to you square kiosks yes and those come automatic with so this is the one that kills me and this is you want to talk about genius right (laughs) is it gives you three button options, right? And so it's, I think they do 10%, 15%, 20%. And then like down bottoms, this teeny tiny little like no thanks button. Yeah, exactly. Right? You got to go out of your way. Yeah. And so they've and the now. Person, and the person watching you knows you're hitting the no thanks. And oh, it's yeah. so awkward. Yeah, for like, sure. And they are, they have totally dialed in and locked in this like, it's a system. It's systemizing, guaranteeing a tip system. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's such an interesting uh, position, an interesting culture. What I think would be an interesting study to do for yourself is to not only because I, like I track a lot of personal expense stuff, right? But something I don't track is like so. Let's say we go out to restaurants and I leave some sort of a variable income. Let's say I, let's say I had a really good service and I leave a thirty or forty percent tip because it was above and beyond. Um, I don't track like that, right? right? I think I think that would be something that would be super interesting to track and then like do like three columns, red, yellow, green. Like red was, I feel like I got, I feel like I got 
screwed by a system and I had to tip 10% even though there was absolutely no purpose for this. Right. And Green is like, yeah, this person definitely deserved this money. And then count it up at the end of the year. It's hard. I feel like it's it would be a lot of money. So so I get called out by my wife because like we'll go to uh, a place that has the, the square kiosk, right? Uh, uh, and you, you leave a tip. And I'll hit no thanks. And she'll just give me this look. And then we'll get out. Like, you should have tipped. And I go, but, but why? Yeah. Like, uh, like, before they had that, I wouldn't have tipped. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like you're being put on the spot to do it, which is a little scummy. But at the same time, it does raise awareness to, hey, maybe you can't tip these people. Yeah. Because, like, um, one thing I'm one thing I'm really big at tipping on is valets. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, for sure. Like, if you own a car, especially a nicer car. It's like, you don't want your car parked in a place that's going to get dinged up. So yeah, you're like, giving them a lot of control. Exactly. So, yeah. like, I will I will slip a few extra bucks for a valet. Yeah. Or uh, what's the other one that's really good to tip? Barbers. Barbers. Yeah, yeah. barbers really good. Um, yeah. The, I mean, just stuff stuff that um, stuff that has a direct impact to the quality of wh- the product you're going to receive, I think. Yeah. Tipping goes really, really far. Yeah, and it, I mean, I think if I have a good barber experience, I also have unfortunately, like, within, like, a relatively recent past, had really bad barber experiences. Mm. Um, once you go from a bad barber experience to a good barber experience... No. Then yeah, for sure. Then you really start to realize like, okay, this is definitely worth the increased money, the increased tip, and you know. And then Micah, um, you know, he was shout, as Drew saying, shout out to Micah. Micah's uh, my dude at Royal Rhino Club. Now I think we've got like maybe twelve uh, friendship members going yeah. to him, which is great. It's like it's good for his business, and I love it because you know he gives me a great haircut, and I've never really paid for a decent haircut i've always been like a great clip sport clip sure. guys and Ooh, uh I got a good one about and this. man i had i just had I, I started to get the worst experiences at the sports clip right by my house and like this woman would just have drone on and have these conversations that were the worst conversations ever she's telling me about like how she's gonna start a, a fight with her baby daddy who like it dude it was like it, it got down these paths where you're like wow i don't want to be having like, this is conversation it rude with I put you. In my airpods right now <laughs> yeah exactly yeah for sure yeah. uh okay so all right so let's let's so barber's haircut hairstylist right so um i have been going to the same style since i've lived in columbus for going on 15 16 years now. yeah now as you can see i'm very very freshly shaved right now yeah uh losing my hair yeah all right it's, it's i've come to peace with it yeah it we're happens. all going there yep, yep. Yep. So uh, it started out. I was actually looking at old pictures of myself, and it's amazing that I kind of blo- blocked out the fact that I always had a little bit of a bald spot that just kind of like grew, 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 grew. Yep. And now it's to the point where I'm basically clippering my head. Right. It's very, very short. Um, still having a lot of problem with it, uh, but it, it can't control it. Right. Is what it is. Yep. Is what it is. So I've been going to the stylist, and she's always done a really good job of doing my hair, and I tip relatively well for what it is right because yep. you go i go like it's it's like an entire experience you get your hair cut you get washed out shampooed yep. blow dried perfect right but now yeah she's clipping my hair and i'm out of there in five minutes yeah. so it's like you get to this point where can you untip because it's like before i was like okay i'm here for an hour yeah. this is an hour of your time you're charging me a rate plus you're going above and beyond yeah. you're really really good at it it's a, it is an art yeah right it's not like anybody can just cut hair yeah like i would tip but now it's like i walk in it's clippered. Yeah. I'm not saying I could do it myself because I probably would mess it up. Yeah. I think you could do it yourself. I don't know. Or at least your wife could do it. Because I cut, I, I cut hair in the army, which okay. is clippering hair. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what do you want? The I can do I can do the buzz or I can do the, the more hair buzz. <laughs> yeah. Like well, it's get... like, because uh, so, so where it's really going is it is, is, is definitely a receding hairline and then like the top of my head is very mm-hmm. thin. So it's like, she doesn't even really need to clipper the top. It's yeah. just getting the sides and keeping that high and tight. So it's like, 
she's she's used to, and I'm used to, an X dollar figure for a tip. And yeah. It's like, I do it because I like her and she helps, but could you make the argument that I'm not spending as much time there? And yeah. it, it, that sounds like such a shitty thing to say out loud. But it's yeah. like, is that how you determine how much you tip somebody? Is yeah. it is it a is it a measure of time and value or just value? Yeah. Well, yeah. It would be, uh, the the analogy that came to my head right away is if you went and saw Andre at J. Lou and you just sat down and got a cup of coffee, like, are you going to be obliged to leave him? Uh, you know, not even a similar percentage tip, but the similar dollar tip. It's like you're... Well, so, okay, percentage, right? Because yeah. usually I base my tips off a of percentage. So yeah. I still probably would tip the same. But you're saying the haircut costs the same still. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. I think the uh, I think the general tip culture is one of those things where... I think everybody battles with it. The The thing I love most about Maria is Maria's. And she's one of those people who gets by on so much stuff just because of her general, like, attitude or approach to it. Sure. She'll literally just laugh and go, I don't know what to leave. And then, like, you get the table <laughs> consensus on what to leave. And sometimes we have basically this conversation sitting at a table sometimes. And it is interesting to see the differing uh, points of view and thoughts uh, on it, I think, depending on where you're at, what service you're getting, and so on. Uh, but that's the one that the, the the North Star one's the one that always gets me. So hopefully people listen <laughs> listen to this. They they're like, oh my god, yeah, North Star. I don't I don't leave a tip, right? Whatever it is. Uh, but see, but, but I feel like you should there because you have you have a quick slaving way in a kitchen. You do yeah. have a wait staff coming around to check on you. But do you, yeah, but cooks generally. So I, I, working in a restaurant, cooks don't see any of the tip. What the, really? Yeah. Okay, so I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I thought that was all kind of shared between everybody. No, typically not. Yeah. So most in most common restaurants, I worked at a few different restaurants. Ninety nine percent, it's going to be you're going to get a chunk or a percentage of that is going to go to maybe the hosting staff. And that's going to be a lesser percentage than is going to go to the wait staff. Now, now, is that bar staff as well? Or are they on a separate? Yeah, so if you have a bar staff, that's going to be included in that typically. Okay. Um, so especially if you're, like some restaurants are set up where, you know, you go and you do the drink order through the bar. And then they go in the kitchen and they do those. It's not like the actual waiter or waitress is pouring your drinks, right, in that capacity. Then, yeah, you're yeah. going to go to the bar staff also. But I don't think in any of the restaurants that I can remember working at, I don't remember the chefs being included in that. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's one of those things that's like when in reality we're, <laughs> we're cutting out the biggest, most important part of Right, the, the part of... I'm there for in the first place exactly is to, yeah. get, is to get my food yeah but i also think that the chefs are probably you know they're going to make obviously a salary that's going to be higher than than most of the, the yeah i, would, I would imagine especially as you start to move up that 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 chef food chain right like yeah. if you get to be like an exec chef like that's a legit pretty good job yeah for sure yeah, yeah. stressful stressful yeah that whole weight stuff stuff stressful